Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. For this week, I'm so happy to be joined by multi-Emmy winning director Sylvia Kaminer, whose past credits include Great Hotels, Passport to Europe, Passport to Latin America, Places to Love, basically anything Samantha Brown of Travel Channel fame related. Um, She has had a hand in creating. Um, And now she's out with her narrative feature debut, Follow Her, which is about to be released in theaters and VOD next weekend on June 2nd. Um, The film is about an aspiring actress named Jess who responds to a mysterious classified ad and finds herself trapped in her new boss's twisted revenge fantasy. Sylvia, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks, Max. It's great to be here. Appreciate it. So I'd love to start um, basically at the beginning of your involvement with this project. As mentioned, you've um, had a led a career of working in the travel documentary space and have now come to a point where you felt ready to take on your first um, narrative feature. What was it about um, Danny Barker's script who who wrote the screenplay and, and stars as Jess? What was it about her script that um, felt like this is the one that you were finally waiting for? Yeah, well, I read a lot of scripts about uh, six years ago. I really made a decision I'd produced a handful of films, but I finally said, okay, why don't you know, I'd planned to direct much earlier. So I read a lot of scripts and this was sent to me by a kind of a mentor friend of mine, John Gallagher. Um, and it felt really current and it felt like it, it had just so much potential. It, you know, the, the types of genre films I like the best are ones that have like a rising tension rather than very gory. And I thought there was a lot here there's a message in it It would hopefully take people on a fun ride, but also make them think a little bit about where the world is headed as far as social media and loss of privacy and who we're trusting online. And so just especially with my documentary background, it just felt like something really interesting to spend some time diving into. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, th- the story is, I assume, fictional. However, um an integral part of the story is Jess responding mm-hmm. to this classified ad to write the perfect ending to this screenplay. The actress who plays Jess, as I said, is Danny, who who did write the screenplay as a screenwriter herself. So what were those early conversations you had with Danny about her um, maybe personal investment in the story and, and the passion that she had towards wanting to tell it? Yeah, well, what's interesting is there's a lot of truth in her screenplay about a dozen years ago, she actually had a YouTube show um, and she found the wackiest job she could find on Craigslist and she secretly filmed them and then wow. put them on her YouTube show, <laughs> including getting tickled for an hour for $50. <laughs> so um, again, it felt like there was a lot of honesty and a lot of truth yeah. here and something she had had direct experience with. She yeah. never took the types of risks that Jess does in the film. She was always super careful and had, you know, bodyguard with her or somebody with her. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Those early chats, um, you know, we both had to kind of, we got to know each other on, I don't even know if it was zoom. I think it was just phone calls. You know, we started talking in 2018. Wow. So before the zoom craze, cause it was before the pandemic, 
And we both had to really trust each other because she knew this was obviously going to be my first narrative feature. And this was her first, not only screenwriting for a feature, but she wrote it for herself, Mm -hmm. Um, which as a director, you know, that's always a little scary when you have a writer who's written the lead role for themselves, who hasn't done a whole lot that you can watch. So I looked at, you know, what I could find, but I just, I just had a, a real, you know, hunch that she would bring it. And we just, it just flowed naturally. And we really felt like we could trust each other. And so we never really looked back. I'd say that first call, we both just jumped off the cliff together and decided, yep, we're just going to do this. And we, you know, put it at the top of our list of all the projects we were working on currently and just kept fighting for it to happen until until we started shooting about a year later. Wow. Oh, so you filmed completely before the pandemic. Then, well, in that case. Yes, we did. So the interesting thing is, you know, like a lot of independent films, a big challenge is raising the money. So, you know, the big thing was finding the right actor because, you know, it's a two-fister for, for a huge portion of the film. So we knew the film would hinge on the relationship between the protagonist and the antagonist. And so we needed somebody who could be very alluring, uh, very charming, but also a bit menacing. And so Luke Cook, um, as soon as we got an audition from him, we're like, oh my gosh, this guy is so right for this role. He had, he was just about to launch on uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Mm-hmm. He was about to come on as the Dark Lord. And we're like, and then, you know, it was pretty sure he was going to be taken on for another season. So we had mm-hmm. a real, we had to shoot him out, basically. So we went and we ended up shooting in 2019, but we didn't actually end up finishing filming until 2020, literally uh, like 10 days before the pandemic wow. shut everything down. That's so all crazy. the post was through that time. Yeah. And it's amazing that you were able to get Luke right before you knew he was about to just like take off with Sabrina. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you spoke before why you felt it was time to finally direct your feature narrative, but I want to ask about your connection to the horror space specifically, or I guess um, the way that this film is being marketed as a psychosexual thriller. Right. Um, what is it about this elevated genre space that you gravitate towards especially? Um, and and why was it this um, genre th- that was what you wanted to tell your first feature in like this space? Well, I've always been attracted to scary, tension-filled films. And I just felt at this time for my first film, I needed to find something achievable on a modest budget um, and something that I really felt I could accomplish and that it kind of fit my skill set. And yeah, this just, it just, felt right. You know, um, I, I called on some, some friends, you know, my DP, Luke Geisbuehler, we'd worked together a bunch of, we'd done maybe three films that I had produced that he shot. And I knew that, you know, we had a little bit of a shorthand and I could really, you know, lean on him a bit. And he's just, he's done all the Borat films. He's worked a lot with Sasha Baron Cohen. And um, yeah, so it just, it, you know, coming out of documentaries and stuff, you know, I'd done a couple of feature docs. I just felt let me just turn it on its head a bit. And the thing that's so great about genre films is that you can you can maybe talk about subjects that are maybe a little taboo in a straight drama. Like you can get away with pushing narrative a bit in a thriller or a horror film. And so I think that makes it really interesting that you can talk about subjects that are actually very dramatic and have a lot of 
um, value to be talked about in society, but you put it under the kind of the the dressing of a of a horror film. And before people know it, you know, they're in maybe watching a film that actually makes them think more than just, you know, going on a on a ride. Yeah. And it almost feels like it's just meant to be that your innate interest is in the horror genre space. I think one thing that the marketplace taught us coming out of COVID is that the one genre that is just a reliable that, you know, audiences will just go out for no matter the uncertainty is the horror film, whether it's the black phone or smile or Megan. There is a thirst. And I, I feel like right now it's like a a resurgence, you know, of horror films of genre films. And it's a very exciting time to be, you know, making them right now. I feel like, Oh my gosh, it's, I've never, well, maybe it's because I'm really focused on them, but it feels like there's such a demand and there's so many, I can hardly keep up every week. I'm like, Oh gosh, what are the new releases in horror thrillers? And it's hard to, hard to keep up. Um, and there's more and more women getting into the the horror space, which was, you know, it's still pretty small, but you know, yeah, it's an exciting time. Yeah. If it's an original story that does well at the box office, it tends to be, you know, horror. So that's, you know, great with follow her now coming out next week and taking advantage of this great moment that the genre is having. Um, well, I, I want to touch on the, the message that the, the film shares it and, want to know how maybe you've changed personally as it relates to social media, which is obviously heavily showcased in the film. Has working on Follow Her um, helped you learn anything about yourself and your relationship to social media or perhaps those around you, um, such as loved ones and the influence that you may have had on people in your life on sort of changing the way that they relate to social media? Um, And because of working on the film, did you change anything about yourself? Yeah. Um, so the funny thing is, is before I started making the film, I was not very present on social media. You know, I was very late to join Facebook. And then I was like, on that to find, you know, childhood friends. And I'd never, you know, I think I had an Instagram and Twitter account, but I just wasn't really active on it. So the first thing that's changed is it's forced me to, to embrace the, you know, that world. And also, studying it a bit and really seeing kind of the power it has, has opened my eyes a bit as well. Um, But also I would say I've recognized more how addictive it is and how it's designed to be addictive because, you know, sometimes when I'm trying to post, which right now I'm pretty much on it, you know, because I feel like as a filmmaker, you have to, you know, you have to promote your work. I can realize like, oh, holy, you know, count 90 minutes has just gone by because I started looking and reading interesting tweets. And then I, well, I looked at somebody's, you know, and you can just, it's, it's an unbelievable time suck, like insane. So I noticed that. And then, you know, I would hope that the film, you know, it's not a condemnation of social media. Social media is not going anywhere, but what I think it can do is just perhaps get people to think a little more about what they are posting. You know, the character in the film definitely makes some morally questionable decisions and, you know, so it, it definitely poses a question, you know, what are you doing online is what you're doing, benefiting you by hurting others. And the, the really funny thing is, is Luke Cook is hysterical on social media. He has a rather mm-hmm. large Instagram and, and TikTok following, which TikTok I have not ventured yeah. onto. Um, and so in this movie, he's kind of picking on people like himself, which he, he thinks is actually pretty amusing. Um, yeah, as far as, you know, it's funny because... 
you know, I have a niece and and a couple of nephews that live nearby and they're the only three, you know, four, well, three of them, one is more on social media that are not really, they don't even have like Instagram or Twitter. Yeah. So they're very unusual. Um, but yeah, I hope it just also makes people think about safety, you know, um, and who are they giving information to and who are they trusting? And, you know, there's a lot, it's, I do think social media and who you're trusting has changed a bit. It makes, it makes you potentially open to, you know, danger more than perhaps in the past. So hopefully this makes people re rethink, you know, also who are, who are you trusting? It's almost like, you know, the dating apps that came out like a dozen years and, you know, I've heard such funny stories about people that don't even resemble, you know, their, their app picture or their, you know, their bio. And so I think we all have to remember that social media is for consumption. It's not a personal diary. It's not, nobody's, you know, checking it to see if it's factual. And it also, I think, can make trivial things feel important, you know, like, you know, but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about the setting of the film, specifically the barn, which is so foundational to the to the story. Um, how did you come across the barn? How did you find it? And um, how, how long was this shoot um, overall? Yeah. So, you know, Danny and I were also producers on the film. Um, and I brought on Michael and Jan, a producer I've been working with for about eight years. Um, so we started looking online and I think Danny may have actually found a photo of it on like VRBO. We knew we needed something big. I, I knew, gosh, we just had to have space. So Luke and I um, went up and we scattered a couple other places, one barn we thought we had, which fell through. And then this is in Saugerties, New York. It was called Barn on the Pond, and it was perfect. As soon as we saw it, I mean, there were certain things that we had to modify, but it had everything we needed. And, you you know, I really wanted that canvas of that huge, you know, the space because so much of the film does take place in that one location. And the grounds outside were great. And then they had this little wooden shed that could work as the outhouse. And, yeah, it just it just worked perfectly. Um, and it was really nice to shoot up in Saugerties and we did a little bit in Woodstock. I knew for, for whatever reason, I knew I wanted to shoot in the Hudson Valley. I'm a New Yorker, born and raised New York City gal, um, went to school in New Paltz. And so I, I really wanted to pull from the New York talent I knew as far as crew. And then I love away shoots. I feel like the focus is, I don't know, I've, you know, I've shot, produced films like in New Mexico and, and upstate as well in New York and in different places. And when you have an away crew, you're, everything is just focused on the film. It's like, you're almost at like summer camp and it's all, you're all doing this one thing. So I really wanted to do that. That section of the film was 12 days. Um, so everything to do with her going up to meet Tom and everything they do until, until the third act was done in those 12 days. And then we shot another six days in New York City and Brooklyn, even gosh, one day all the way out in Staten Island. Wow. Um, yeah, with a couple of second unit days. We did a couple okay. days with just like, you know, myself, Luke, Michael, and you know, his camera department. Mm -hmm. It was quick. It was quick, but it wasn't, you know, the first film I ever produced, we shot in 12 days on 35 and with like 33 locations and 65 actors. So this wasn't that bad. This was nothing compared to no, that. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm like, uh, yeah. 
Um, well, you mentioned before how this project came to you in 2018. So it must be so surreal after five years, finally having it be released to the public next weekend. Um, of course, it played a lot of the festival circuit over the last year or so across across the country. Um, you, This is a very independent production. Could you talk a little bit about how it um, ultimately found distribution with Quiver? And um, I assume probably f- from one of the festivals, um, you, you were able to... Um, get someone to acquire it, but if you could just talk about how Quiver found your project. Sure. Um, so, you know, early on, as soon as we had a locked picture, we weren't, you know, fully finished. It wasn't color corrected. And I don't think all the sound was finished. I had been introduced to um, a guy named Pip over at XYZ. Um, and so we started, so he watched it and, and he was interested to rep it as a producer's rep. And then I kind of had sent a, a cold email to, Rena Ronson at UTA, mm-hmm. independent, you know, film group. I was like, ah, I'll probably never hear back. And I did. And they watched it. And like, you know, four or five days later, I got a message that they were interested. So we actually had them combine forces as our producer reps. Um, and then we actually also brought on um, a guy named Chris Italia, who also he actually had a really strong relationship with Quiver. And so, you know, we had this really nice team to help kind of guide the film and, you know, do the festival thing. You know, I think, you know, some of the awards we won and some of the press helped and playing festivals like Fright Fest and then the audience award at Austin, I would say kind of was the the biggest cap for the film. And yeah, and so that was, I think it, it actually, you know, we started, they started showing the film to distributors late last year mm-hmm. um, or late, uh, fall, I think rather. And, and, you know, it took a it took a little time. It wasn't like an overnight right away sale, but yeah, we're we're really happy. And it's hard right now. There's so many films coming out every week. There's so much noise. It's really hard to raise above the noise. But you know, we're we're thankful to have Quiver. You know, I'd love to work with them again. And you know, they're they're not you know they're making a lot of films as well. So that's exciting. And yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'd love to ask about your next. Um, feature. I know you've mentioned before in press how you do ideally envision follow her to be the beginning of possibly a trilogy or at least a, you know, seeing a follow up, a sequel. Um, are there any early plans for that, or if not, do you have something not yeah. related to follow her that you're working on next? Right. Well, quickly, I'll just say that Danny, um, the writer of Follow Her, which you know, um, we've talked about doing that together, writing it together. And we have a, a really solid idea for a trilogy, which if we ever get to make it, you know, we've talked about writing it and I've just always felt like why not until we have some interest until we know, because our idea for the trilogy really does continue this story. And so I'd want to, you know, know that the there was a distributor or a streamer or somebody who believed in that, you know, in carrying that around because there's so many other ways you could go. You could right. do a whole spinoff, all new characters. We also have some um, series ideas, you know, but right now, you know, with the writer's strike going on, which I completely support, um, I think there's a lot of a lot of crap going on in Hollywood and, and there's a lot of stuff that needs to kind of get fixed. And so nothing, you know, unfortunately, until that gets resolved, you know, nothing's going to be happening. Um, but I, I am excited about a couple of projects. I'm working with David Higgins, who produced one of my favorite movies, Hard Candy, and um, we have this great um, thriller. Well, it's now it's more straight horror than follow her. 
It's very character driven. It's kind of about a shape shifting creature, and and the protagonist is is a fifteen year old no no bullshit teenage you know high school student who happens to be trans, and it's this yeah it's an all out kind of battle um, to, for survival, and it's a really interesting film. And I'm I'm also adapting a novel with a um, a novelist Nick Jones who has these amazing series of books. It's a well it's going to be a seven part series of of books. Um, and the first one is called, and then she vanished. And we're writing it together. We've, we're nearly done. We started it in January. And so I'm really, really excited about that one. Cause that one definitely feels like a franchise. Um, and it's my favorite type of, of, um, time travel. It's more like about time, you know, that type of very character driven has a lot to say, you know, it's, yeah. That's amazing. So yeah. it, it seems like you have multiple franchise opportunities here between the seven part novel series and then <laughs> we'll, we'll see with follow her, which I, I'm sure we'll do, you know, um, really well next weekend. Um, but yeah, it seems like we have a lot to look forward to over the next couple of years. Hope, from you. I hope, you know, <laughs> I, I hope it doesn't take me years again to make my next film. Right. Hopefully, hopefully this will help. And then I'm also, you know would love to get on and direct an episode or two of a series, you know, yes. who would want to do that. I would kill to, you know, I wish they were still doing black mirror because the film has been, you know, compared to that style a bit. And, um, but, you know, I also have a love for just straight heavy drama, you know? Right. Um, well, you know. It, if follow her performs the way that it does on, yeah. on VOD and in the theaters that it's released the next weekend, I'm sure that'll catapult those opportunities as well as you know kicking into high gear the state the process of doing a sequel to, yes. to follow her um, well sylvia thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and um congratulations again next weekend june 2nd follow her finally is released for the world to see yay thanks max i appreciate it thanks so much for tuning in Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening.